the service this morning for uh, just uh, a wonderful time in the presence of the Lord. And we pray that we can continue that sense of our awe and uh, worship of our God as we learn from him. Please open in the scriptures to Second Thessalonians uh, and turn, please, to uh, chapter 1. And we'll be taking that chapter up in detail. It's, it's really something that we have, uh, these letters. Um, it's to understand the message that God has for us this morning. We, we need to recall that we have so much that provides for us the setting and context for God's message for us. How many can still find the love letters you wrote to your sweetheart or your parents wrote to you, uh, perhaps when you were a young person? It's really something that thousands of years later, thank you, Eve, it's on your computer, I'm sure. I'm not sure if you wrote it yourself, but anyway. Uh, it's really something to hold in our hands the very words that God wanted us to have, preserved over thousands of years, and to have it is just such a privilege and blessing. With respect to the church of Thessalonica, we have lessons for our church this morning, and I pray that God will help us to see some of those together. Uh, that church was founded uh, by particularly the three apostles, Paul and Silas and Timothy. And we have, as a result of their visit that was, was uh, the foundation for that church, we have subsequent visits, two of them, uh, from, from the, this, the very uh, missionaries that founded the church. And we have... Uh, the letters that went in response to those that were written in response to those two visits. We uh, a question that I would just put before us in the way of putting together the the lessons that are for us this morning uh, circulate around this question: What does pastoral or shepherding follow-up look like? And it's a little bit of a build on what our brother David uh, said last week about leadership and about the local church and how God intended it to uh, function and uh, which we have been uh, given together to uh, serve him in the middle of. I gave the introductory talk to First Thessalonians and I had a homework assignment. I trust all of you have brought your, your finished homework uh, together this morning and some probably don't even remember the assignment. Uh, but... I thought it was a good idea to uh, pretend you were Timothy. We're writing your missionary report to Paul and Silas after your assigned visit by them to the Thessalonian church. And uh, I did get some response asking me, well, why, what, is this, what do you mean by that assignment? Why would you do that? And I just jotted down a few thoughts about that. The reason was that when we... Uh, look at the hermeneutical aspect of, of seeking out what Timothy would have reported back to the disciples. It helps us to understand the context uh, by which they responded to them when they, when they, uh, uh, when they wrote that uh, First Thessalonians book together. It helps us to really practice our skills in Bible study a very careful observation of what the text is saying. When I was taught, and Peg and I were together in this course at the time, we were taught by someone who was teaching us how to study the Bible. 
And they said, that he gave us, I think, two or three verses at the beginning of a letter and said, I'd like you to write down 50 observations from those three verses. I was thinking about that as I worked through my uh, completion of my own assignment. And uh, it really is uh, helping us to observe what we're writing and understand the context of what's being written in response to that visit. In interpreting the letter then of 1 Thessalonians, we were helped a great deal, not only by general teaching of the absolute truths of the gospel, but framed in the context of that particular church and their needs in the middle of trials and persecution and understanding the message at the, at the basic level. It also frames an understanding of the spiritual applications to us, both from the writer's example and what they were doing in their story, and lessons from their teaching, encouragement, and exhortation. We often know a great deal about the Apostle Paul and his travels and his work and, and his teaching. But when you start to look at someone like Timothy, you have to l- dig a little bit deeper to find out what really was going on in those uh, churches. So I'm not going to read this whole letter to you that uh, I found in my uh, archives, uh, inherited from my father, I'm making all this up, uh, about the letter, of, uh, the letter that Timothy wrote to Paul and Silas as a result of his visit. Re- this is my report, says Timothy, to this, uh, on my visit to the Thessalonian church. Thank you for the opportunity to visit our brothers and sisters at Thessalonica. As I traveled, I was somewhat apprehensive of what the folks would think of my visit. So on my way there, I was not only bathed in prayer for God's guidance and wisdom, but also with my efforts to find out from other Christians along the way what they had heard about the church's progress. Throughout Macedonia and Achaia, I was told that the church had become a model for others to follow. Its newfound faith was reported to be clear and articulate, how the Christians there had turned to God from their idols and were trying to serve him. It was also known what kind of reception our team had uh, when we were there. What we taught about future events was also talked about by those I interviewed as well. All of this was confirmed as I was welcomed into their homes and church fellowship. Their faith and love was evident from the beginning and clear that they have pleasant memories of our first visit. They longed to see us all again. I've highlighted in red some of the things that carry on into the second letter. The opposition to the gospel we faced when we were there remains a significant challenge for them. The same critics are telling them that we were in error about all we taught and that we were there with impure motives just trying to flatter and trick them for monetary gain. Worse still, that we used fear tactics to force them to believe our made-up messages and that we really didn't care about them at all. The critics were also saying that if we really did care for them, we would have returned rather than moving on to other cities to repeat our ruse. They remembered we warned them of persecution that could come quickly, and they want us to know how severely and costly It is continuing for them. In spite of it, they are standing firm through it all. Praise the Lord. On the dimensions of sanctification progress, as young Christians, there are issues of interpersonal favoritism in their expression of God's love. There are some who have not yet left their pagan ways of sexual immorality, impure living, And these exhibit disregard for the effect of their actions on others. More on this later. Many were very keen to have more information about the future return of Christ to earth that we had taught. Specifically, there has been a death of a loved one in the church, 
And they are all talking about whether or not she will miss out on the benefits of the coming of our Lord. There is also a great deal of discussion about the timing of their Lord's return. I tried to help them with these two areas, but not as ably as I would have liked. There were many discussions about how to live in such a way to please the Lord, which is so new to them. The list of their many challenges to holy living included drunkenness, quarrels over church leadership capabilities, inadequate care of families, impatient behaviors, allowance of infiltration of new ideas being taught, lack of consensus on how often to gather and to pray, and misunderstandings over the role of the Holy Spirit. I didn't want to use particular names in this report associated with with, uh, these things in writing. It is my opinion that general additional instruction be somehow provided so that all learn together in the recommended approach. I look forward to learning from you both as a response action is formulated and to help whenever I can. Now, this is not inspired interpretation of God's word, but it results from looking at verse by verse to see what the apostle knew, uh, what the apostles knew by virtue of their first visit, what they learned from the follow-up visit, and what they had learned from others. And that was how that uh, letter came about in my imagination. So we'll come to a similar letter for the book of Second Thessalonians in a few moments. But the normal introduction to a book talks about, uh, answers, tries to answer a few questions. Who wrote the second book of Thessalonians? In the book, we find internal support for the um, authorship of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and Paul, perhaps the leading uh, scri- uh, scribe of pull- pulling together uh, what needed to be written to the church. Chapter 1 and verse 1, written Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. And then in chapter 3 and verse 17, uh, we have the reference by Paul, how he wrote this greeting in his own hand, which is his distinguishing mark. And that was undoubtedly in response to people who were claiming he, he, he was a false uh, uh, person and uh, perhaps others wrote it and so on. Uh, the external support for that evidence of Paul being the writer and leading, leaving the claim that this is from God more credible is the external support. And that's similar to 1 Thessalonians, and I won't spend much time on it, uh, but uh, what, what is quoted about 1 Thessalonians is also true for 2 Thessalonians in the early days. I started my message off with this a little bit, and I just want to highlight it a little bit more of the blessings we have of God's providential care for us today via his word. The... Uh, the testimony of the validity of the New Testament is, is founded in a whole number of ways, and I just want to highlight one of them this morning. Increasingly, more and more manuscripts are being found. Uh, in comparison to one of the old uh, manuscripts that testifies and gives credibility to the writing of Homer's The Iliad, There are 647 documents that support that story. They don't have the original one, as we don't have the original, but there were some 647 documents supporting that. In in terms of the New Testament, and we'll leave the Old Testament aside for this purpose this morning, in Greek versions of the New Testament, there are 5,800 documents supporting the scriptures that we have today. And in Latin, there's another 10,000 documents supporting uh, the scriptures. 
We were touched by this, this providence of God in our Bible study this week. Uh, Ray Vanderlan, who's uh, the leader of the series the, uh, the, um, that the world may know, is, is a very knowledgeable person about these matters of the early church and the culture in which it was founded and the actions of the church in various locations. It's a fantastic uh, series and, and a real encouragement to us. Last week we took up uh, his investigation of the temple to Apollo in Didyma. And the, the pagans of that time were thirsting for a word from God. They would go to the temple, they would give a sacrifice, they would put, uh, put a, their question to some messenger. That messenger would take that, that question that they had and wanted a voice from the Lord about into the back rooms and there was the oracle person representing Apollo and uh, sitting there and coming out at some point with the oracle that was claimed to be from Apollo. It's a bit appalling that uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, drugs involved in the interpretation at the time. And there's uh, interesting articles on that that we, I read later. But this huge, huge temple was the context in which the church came and they were being given by God his texts from the Old Testament and the New Testament as it was being written. They had no need of this intermediary and cost of joining the temple and paying its fees. We have in our hands the very words of God for us to read and understand. We're just so privileged. We take it for granted. It's on our tablets. It's all around us. But we're not threatened. It's not a... Uh, in some ways, we're going to be increasingly persecuted because of the beliefs we hold because of those words. But it's really something that, uh, that we have those very words of God on which we found our shepherding work, our, foundation, our foundational work, our shepherding work, and our, our participation in the body of Christ. So the historical context, uh, I've alluded to it a little bit, but this second letter seems to be written about six months or so after the first letter was written. Uh, Timothy had been, uh, it's all a part of the second missionary journey, and Timothy had been dispatched by Paul from Athens to, to uh, visit them the first time. His visit report, which we just read to Paul and Silas, was written from Corinth. And First Thessalonians was written and sent as a result of that visit report and other information they, they, it looks like they had. It's conjecture as to how that letter was delivered, but very common in those days, someone would have personally have taken it, and it's conjectured that, that Silas and Timothy were sent with this letter to, uh, to visit the church again. Uh, but we're not entirely sure that that's the case. So new information had been received by Paul and Silas and uh, they received reports of persistent persecution, of ongoing false critics uh, that were not just speaking against the church but actively infiltrating the church to uh, claim, for example, the day of the Lord has already come, taken up in chapter 2. There were false conclusions about future events by the people and they were idle because they thought, well, if God is coming tomorrow, why invest or why work, why, why do anything? And uh, th- that was one of the things that comes into the, comes into the book with a false understanding about future events. This, like the first, cha- first book of Thessalonians, is full 
of the future. And it's, it'll be an, it was an interesting part of 1 Thessalonians, and it's also a big part of Second uh, Thessalonians as well, trying to understand how the understanding of what the prophecies taught Paul and others about the future comes to bear in the attitude we have uh, about uh, uh, how we take steps forward uh, with our spiritual life. There were reports of spiritual fatigue and difficulty with all of the persecution and ongoing sanctification challenges. So here's the uh, other document I found, uh, an introductory letter by uh, perhaps Timothy and uh, Silas uh, to Paul when they returned from delivering the, uh, d- delivering the first letter. The church for- folks welcomed us right away, and we were so grateful that we had a letter for them. Their growing faith since the last visit was evident. Even without, a, without some of our letters or exhortations about loving one another, we were pleased to see them including everyone in their fellowship. Persecution is continuing against them as we knew it would. We were so pleased to see that their perseverance remains worthy of our boasting in the Lord. However, some are showing fatigue and not just a little spiritual discouragement with the troubles they face all of the time. Some are questioning God's justice Most are full of church actions of goodness, but discouragement is starting to affect some of these works for Christ. Some of the persecutors are unsettling and alarming the saints with some teaching that the Lord has already come. These prophecies are being claimed to have originated with us and were very difficult to refute and deal with in the time we had available. Nevertheless, it was good to hear how the gospel of Christ has spread so rapidly within their city and in the countryside. The evil ones are always trying to obstruct its spread. They need our ongoing prayers as we need theirs. One difficult issue brought to us was that there are some within their fellowship who are not working in support of themselves and their families. They are claiming that we did not work to support ourselves while we were there, so they don't have to either. Also, their convenient excuse for this behavior was that the return of the Lord will be at any time. So what is the point of working so hard? We need to respond with a firm letter of instruction to the whole church again and urge them to continue to grow in the gospel and the love and peace of our Lord. So the letter has a number of purposes. Uh, Encouragement amidst this persecution Uh, the writers sought to try to give them some reasons for being strong in the middle of that persecution that's rooted in the true justice of God and in the true aspects of what his justice will mean in judgment of people in the future coming age. And uh, that is a very interesting little segment uh, in chapter 2 that is to be dealt with and uh, is very powerful in terms of our understanding. Unlike the rest of the world, we first of all have the hope of a life hereafter. We have a hope in a God that is absolutely good, that is absolutely true, who is absolutely just in his treatment of people. And that will continue into eternity when the, when the uh, justice of God is meted out to, uh, to the, those who have tormented the church in particular in this context and also to unbelievers in general. And it's a fearful, fearful future for those who who reject Christ, and even more so for those who punish those who believe in him. And uh, 
I just came away from that chapter just so, so thankful for the hope that lies before us as believers. It's not merited, it's by God's grace. Our, our brokenness is understood, but it is taken care of by the grace of Christ on the cross. And we have this eternal hope of a real salvation, an eternal presence with the Lord, and always in his presence will be display. We will see the display of his attributes, We'll see the display of his love and his grace and the cost by which he won us our salvation and that presence of him that is so majestic and glorious. Even the words of the, of the revelator in the last book of the Bible couldn't fully describe uh, what is there for us. It's also uh, part of the purpose was, again, exhortation. And if there's a flavor in the second book a little bit different from the first book as you read them side by side, you'll see that there's a bit more of a, of a purposeful and, and uh, firm aspect to the, the writers of the second book as opposed to the first. The first was introductory, a little more gentle. This, the second book is more forceful and purposeful in terms of their, particularly their leaving behind the aspects of their pagan living and converting truly to a service of God and honoring him in their, in their character and in their treatment of others and in, their, and in all of the aspects of the life that God would have uh, for us all. By the end of this talk, I'll learn how to jiggle the uh, device here. A summary verse I always like to look in the, in, the, in, the, in the books that we study to a theme verse that kind of summarizes it all. And the one I found in Second Thessalonians is in chapter 2 and verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and then strengthen you in every good, uh, in, in every good deed and every uh, and every word. I asked the question at the outset: What does shepherding look like? What does good pastoral support look like? And that doesn't just go to the leadership of a local church; it goes to us as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And what does our shepherding of those around us, encouraging those around us, exhorting those around us look like? I think we have an example in the, from these three missionaries as to how they were in this church, part of its foundation uh, through the teaching of the gospel of Christ and their conversion to growing up in the Lord, maturing in him, uh, spreading the word of Christ in their region and all of the things that a good local church ought to, ought to be doing. So for some reason, alliteration took its hold of me when I was just pointing out three things. Foundations. The missionaries never left behind a reminder to them of the foundations on which their, their new Christian life stands. We can all look back, most of us here this morning can look back to our the foundation of our conversion to Christ, and we sang of it this morning. We can look back to when our feet first found a foundation in Jesus Christ and his saving faith. And we look back to that as a, as a pivotal point in our life, just like the death of Christ was the pivotal point of history. The, our salvation was our personal pivoting point that, uh, that has changed our lives and made it 
uh, so different than it may, may have been had we not rested on that foundation. Just quoting a few of the verses underneath this uh, general heading and the, the words of Scripture say it so much better than I can. From the beginning, of God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Right in the middle of the book, he, the, the writers put that down as the foundation. Don't, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what you're resting on. And as you move forward, rest in that foundation of your very life. And then the second portrait of good pastoral uh, commitment has to do with follow-up. And the, the whole history and context of the writing of these chapters says it all. They, didn't just, they, they were kicked out of Thessalonica. They were expelled from the city. And yet in spite of that, they continued to go back. They continued to go back, show up for the people who were in need there, in spite of the threat to their lives, in spite of the difficulties that the people there were facing. They might not have always known what words to use and what things to say, but they showed up and they uh, went back and tried to help wherever they possibly could. Scripture is supporting this. Is With this in mind, we constantly pray for you. As if they didn't have enough to pray about in Berea and in Athens and in Corinth, they continued to pray for each of these churches that through the Lord's power were, were uh, became local churches because of their preaching and ministry uh, in that pagan culture. And the future, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. I stumbled over that verse and I had to put it in here somewhere. And it really directs our, our, our lives to not be empowered by ourselves as we move forward, but be empowered by the love of God and not our perseverance per se, kind of sounds good, but we are being directed by the Spirit of God into the perseverance of Christ. He went through suffering. He went through death. He went through all of the aspects of this life that could, could destroy any of us, and yet he, and in ways we can't even describe, he was God's Son, his divine Son from eternity, here to do the purpose of God, and yet he went through all of those persecuting and critics and all of that thing as well. And we're directed to the perseverance that's found only in Christ as we have difficulties and trials. Not only as individuals, but, uh, but in the church as well. Last night, I, I discovered, as a, or yesterday afternoon, I discovered that I had written myself down to also cover chapter one. And my first talk would be over now, but now I need another half hour to deal with chapter one. I'm just going to give you a bit of an outline of my thoughts there in, in closing. Uh, we've covered the author's greeting. Uh, chap- chapter 1, verses 3 to 12, uh, the perseverance and persecution uh, was to do with their, uh, in the middle of that, uh, they were observing spiritual growth, strength from the future, and the missionary uh, prayer. In the coming of the Lord, in chapter 2, the outline is uh, the, about the lawless one, steadfastness now as we read, and then chapter 3, how should we then live, and those are outlines for the future chapters. In the first chapter, we have this uh, perseverance and persecution fully dealt with. Uh, spiritual growth, the observations were about their faith growing more and more. Their love was increasing for each other. 
And they were exemplars in faith and perseverance, not only in trials, not only in their own area, but the areas further, further abroad. So that was a real encouragement for them to say. I wonder what we say about other churches. I wonder what we say about our own church when we do take an evaluatory look at them. Most of us come out on the critiquing side of that equation. Most of us say, ah, oh, that church, they're, you know, they're this or they're that. But we need to be looking from God's point of view and the view of the Holy Spirit as we seek to look to everyone wherever they are, wherever life has taken them and whatever church they're in, as to how God is dealing with them step by step. The, excuse me. The, uh, I, I love the way this critique letter starts out or this encouragement letter. It's not a critique. It's, a, it's encouragement from their foundations. Here are some real important things. And then we talked a lot about the strength from the future. I love this next section, which is bracketed in two, two fra- in phrases repeated twice, that you might be counted worthy by God. It begins in, at the beginning of that next section, and it continues a little bit later on. And bracketed is that overriding, higher-level requirement that God has for us, that we be counted worthy of his work that we be counted worthy of his word, that we be counted worthy of, of, of his, his service for us. All of which we do not by, by laws or by pressures from others. We do it out of our return love for God who gave us so much. I'm going to just close there. We have another song to uh, uh, sing. The missionary prayer is at the end of that chapter and I just encourage you to read it. I'd like to just close this introduction by reading the, as the others come forward, to the, uh, we've covered these themes as we went, I'll just uh, leave those for uh, for the notes on the internet. As we study together, it's my plea and prayer that, we would pay close attention to the closing verses of of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, be with you all. I'll ask the the opening team if they would also close in prayer uh, when they're finished the song with us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we can spend in your presence to be with people of like mind and to look into your word and learn a bit more about who you are and what you want for our lives. I pray that as we depart this week, we would be able to apply these things um, and meet next week looking a bit more like you. In your name, amen.